You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm joined by my good friend Gil Martin. He's a writer for the Packers Post and Cheesehead TV. And I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. Uh, We're going to hop in and talk about a couple of guys, uh, Jerron Reed and uh, Keyshawn Dixon, that... uh, have been on the Packers' new roster for uh, a minute, and it's time for us to talk about them. We kind of wanted to do it uh, last week, honestly, but we ended up going long. Um, ended up uh, having a heated debate. I was, I was chuckling at how many people commented on the fact that we did really get into it and argue with each other on the last episode, but I was surprised listeners were not weighing in with their own opinion and saying who they agreed with. I was really expecting to hear a lot of like, um, well, I mean, obviously people were going to write in and say, Oh, JJ was clearly right because he usually is, but you know, you might get a few fringe lunatics who think that guilt had some good points to make too. (laughs) point being, uh, I had a lot of fun, uh, getting into it, getting all feisty with you, Gil. We're going to talk about, uh, Let's 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 do Keyshawn, not Keyshawn, uh, Jaron Reed first, uh, because I think that's the the one clearly that uh, is expected to be the bigger contributor right away. Jaron Reed is a uh, a big name guy uh, because he was a second round pick back in 2016. Um, uh, let's see, kind of a early to mid second round pick for the Seattle Seahawks end up um, last year playing for the Kansas city chiefs. And there is a perception out there that we just signed like a stud among studs (laughs) and that this is going to be defense changing. And um, I mean, so Gil, should we just say, yes, that's the case. And then just end the podcast. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, that does it for today. We'll be right back here next week. <laughs> so here, here's the good news with Jerron. The good news with Jerron is that he did end the season on a five-game hot streak. His PFF grades had been in the 40s for most of the season. Um, he's kind of a hot, cold, hot, cold guy. And when he's cold, he's really cold. Uh you don't want to see forties. Um, is a couple of players on the roster uh, last year that we had who would routinely grade out in the forties, and their names were oh, like Oren Burks. All right, mm-hmm. that's the caliber of player who grades out in the forties. Now you had for a while, Royce Newman was grading out that way, and we were extremely concerned and calling for him to be benched because he was such a liability for a while. Thankfully, he turned it around. Uh, you know, 60 is is average. So here's Jerron Reed starting in week 17 against Cincinnati. 66.2. Then against Denver, 67.6 against uh, Pittsburgh, 66.5. That's three competent performances in a row. Average. Um, 
He also, prior to that that three-week um, competent streak, he had been on a one, two, three, four, five, six-week stretch of being a really good tackler. Uh, and actually, prior to that, for the whole season, he had been turning in pr- pretty much every other week. He would turn in either a 70s grade in tackling or a 20s. I mean, there were, there was nothing in between. Like his seriously, it goes uh, starting week one, 25, 67, 68, 26, 71, 30, 26. Like it, he's hot or cold when it comes to tackling. Right. When, he, when he's good, he's real good. And when he's bad, ooh, look out. Exactly. So starting in week 10, all of a sudden he figured out tackling. And from then on, his lowest grade was week 10, which was a 68, which is fine. Uh, all his other ones were, oh, I missed it. He did have a 67 in uh, week seven or uh, week 16. Who cares about that? So he had that, uh, that like I said, that three-week stretch from week 17 through the wild card round. Then in the divisional round, he turned in an 84.9 overall grade, which include a 90 run defense grade. Fantastic. and But not typical for him. Not it's not typical for him to turn in that many good performances in a row. He's been a guy who can like one week out of five, he'll turn in a performance like that. And the weeks all around that that are sandwiching it in are twenties through forties. All right. And then you get that one, like a 84 right in the middle there, which mm-hmm. he did in week 13, his grades, uh, say, uh, 39, 49, 47, 40, 70, 48, 84, 65, 43, 43. He's got that little spike. This is kind of who he's been. A guy who he reminds you of, kind of, is MVS. He'll have a stretch of really bad games, and then he'll just turn it on and be white hot for a while, and then kind of fall back off and 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 be well below subpar for another disappointing stretch where he kind of just disappears. But then, so... There's one more game in the season. How does he finish it out? Pretty strong game. 82 overall grade, 77 run defense, 71 tackling. He doesn't really bring anything in the pass rush category. He had a total of four sacks on the season, which I don't super care about your your sack numbers. I care a lot more about your total pressures. His pressures, he had 33 pressures on how many attempts? Where's the pass rush snaps? Um... Pass rush snaps. Of course, they're not gonna, just going to give it to me real easy. Oh no, that would be too much um, to ask for. All right, I don't see, I don't see it, but uh, I know that. Let's see, he had eight hundred and forty-three snaps overall. Where's the pass rush? Come on, I, I see the run defense snaps. Come on, where's my? I, it's just me. I'm the one missing it. I know it's here, and I'm just missing <laughs> it's there. It. Still on 800 snaps to only have three, uh, 33 pass uh, pressures is not great. Um, but, you know, he's an interior defender. You're not expecting him to provide a massive amount in his pass rush ability. Right. And that run defense, if you're thinking that maybe that five-week stretch that he finished the, ga- the, the season up with is kind of where he's going to pick up again, in a new system with Joe Barry, that's encouraging. We saw Dean Lowry took a big step last year in Joe Barry's scheme. Overall, though, still 
run defense across the board for the Packers was quite poor. And if you would believe it, Jerron Reed's 2021 performance with all these 45, 43, 32, 35, you know, mixed in with the 70s and the 60s and the 290s, Jerron Reed actually would be the second best tackler or a uh, run defender on the Packers entire 2021 defense. That's yep. how bad everybody else played. Um, you know, and, and we don't like bringing bad news like that, but <laughs> sometimes we just have to. So uh, well, I've been talking long enough. Gil, I want you to. Want here's you to the, how I put it into perspective. Um, you, it's interesting that you used MVS as the comparison. And I think mm-hmm. in some ways it's a good comparison because what was MVS's role in the offense? He was not the go-to guy. He was a role player who was there mm-hmm. to do a specific thing, which on occasion he did exceptionally well. And on other occasions, he would disappear. Kenny Clark is the number one guy on that defensive line. This acquisition does not change that. If right. you view Reed as a complementary player, it is definitely, as you explained, an upgrade over what we had in 2021 at the position. It's We're not laying out a whole lot of money cap-wise for this. Yep. $3.2 million total. Right, $3.2 million total. It's a veteran, experienced player. For an interior defensive lineman, he gives you more push in the pass rush than most. And again, you're not asking him to be the guy. So if you get, even if you get 2021 read again in 2022, uh, it's an upgrade for the Packers defense. It's There's experience there. There's a little bit of push from the interior. It also gives Kenny Clark a little bit more flexibility as to where he lines up on any given play. And that can help Joe Barry create some favorable matchups uh, and to keep defenses guessing. uh, I mean, excuse me, uh, to keep offenses guessing Mm -hmm. a little bit more as to what formation the Packers are in, who's, who's stunting, who's coming, who's dropping back. All of these things are additions. Now, is this an earth shattering signing that all of a sudden makes the defensive line a strength of this team? No, it's not. But is it an, a, a, a fairly good upgrade at a reasonable price? Yes, it is. Um, he's not a Pro Bowl player. I don't think anyone pretends he's a Pro Bowl player. Oh, oh, there are people who pretend he's well, a Pro Bowl player. Okay. They're on Twitter.com. I will yeah, tell you that, well, sir. There's a lot of things on Twitter that you could point to. That. Hey, and some of them are very prominent podcast hosts. I'll tell you that as well. well. Okay. But I, I'll say this. It's an upgrade. It's a... It's a low risk, probably moderate reward kind of a a signing. Mm -hmm. I like the signing, but I'm not sitting here proclaiming him to be the second coming. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, definitely agree with you there. Um, I want to compare him to two guys. One is Dean Lowry, Mm -hmm. who he's going to split time with. The other is Kingsley Kiki because Kiki is who he's replacing. Right. I think if Kingsley Kiki is still on this team, Jerron Reed is not on this team. And what I really love about the Jerron Reed signing, because I, because I do like it. What I do love about it, 
This is very similar to the move that the Packers made a year ago when they brought back Kevin King. And the year the move they made the year prior when they signed Devin Funches. Now, Kevin King and Devin Funches, both of those guys, I would say that did not pan out clearly with Devin Funches because he didn't even play because he opted out for COVID. But with Kevin King, did you get five million bucks worth of production out of him? I would say you didn't. With both those two moves, I don't think that you got the good value for the contracts you gave him, but what that those signings provided and what the Jerron Reed signing provides this year is those were positions, cornerback, um, wide receiver, and now defensive line where you have a need and you would like to address it in the draft, but you don't want to be stuck in a spot where you have to make a signing. Jerron Reed provides you a, a baseline, a floor of, listen, our, our defensive line is going to be at least this good. It's going to have at least Jerron Reed and Dean Lowry next to Kenny Clark, and you can live with that. Right. Do you want to improve it, improve on it in the draft? Yeah, you'd like to, but you have so many other needs, offensive line, wide receiver, uh, safety, probably tight end that you have a much higher priority on now because you have Jerron Reed here. Now you can just take a defensive lineman if a guy falls into position and you don't have to um, take an early swing at defensive line over one of those other positions. So I really like that. And also, so since we're going to compare him to Dean Lowry, let's look at Dean Lowry's contract. <laughs> must have you we? looked at Dean Lowry's contract? Must we? <laughs> I, I will say, so I, I, I do like Dean Lowry. I know he's a, uh, a pariah to a lot of Packers uh, fandom. I like Dean Lowry. I'd like to keep him around for a while. This is a guy who needs an extension so badly. Yeah. <laughs> to lower that because cap hit. <laughs> he, so he's $8 million in 2022. And that includes uh, four. Am I reading this correctly? Let's see. One, let's see three. Okay. $3.6 million in 2023, 2024, 25 that are void years that really are just spreading out uh, the cap hit from his 2021 season. So uh, he's 8 million bucks plus that 3.6, which I just can't, I I can't do it. It's it's painful, but here's the thing. So he is 28. So if you were to turn those void years into real years, give him a little bit of extra money so that he's making, say, six or seven million bucks a year. And actually, I think you could up that a bit because the salary cap is going up. So in a few years, that six or seven million is going to be peanuts. You could sign him to something that looks maybe a little bit more like seven, eight million bucks a year and and structure it so that it's heavier toward the end. You're looking at. Uh, by the time that 2025 season finishes, he'll be 31 and you can move on from him at that point. You're not giving him uh, 11 million bucks just to be here in 2022. And I, I think that he is good enough. He provides that rotational depth and just some solid play that you really do benefit from. I would just like to turn those void years into some real years, give him a little bit extra money, keep him around, lower his cap hit for right now. That's mm-hmm. what I would do. Um, and, I, and I do expect 
the Packers to at least restructure him further later in this season, maybe looking around like June or so, which is, I think, the time of year they restructured him last year. So or you have to wait I, till June 1st. Uh, yes. Yes. June 1st. Yes. That's why they did it. Yep. Right. Right. I mean, look, the, the, the thing about Dean Lowry to me, he is a useful player. He is a role player, but, a, but a useful player. He's just not worth $8 million a year in, in, in cap hit. That's, you know, that's the issue with me. I, I, I think he's yeah, a, not in 2021, 2022 cap hit, but in 2025 cap hit, is he worth 8 million bucks? I think he is. I think in, I think in three, I think in three years from now, eight million bucks is going to feel a lot more like what four or five million bucks feels like right now. Except he may not be the same player three years from now at the age of thirty-one that he is at the age of twenty-eight. But again, we have to cross that bridge when we get a little closer to it. The big well, thing it, about but, uh, yes, go ahead. But but you could move on from him sooner. Right, if you're not giving him all this guaranteed money. You're lowering some cap it. You still have some dead cap if you move on from him at age, say thirty. Mm-hmm. But you're not you don't not forced to keep him and keep paying that out. Correct. You you would have about the same amount of dead cap you got right now, maybe a little bit less, and you keep him for a little bit longer and. He's cheaper because the market is so much higher at that point. Right. It, it's a lower percentage of your overall cap. The, the other thing, though, when you start comparing uh, Reed and, and, and Lowry, and you talked about what the signing of Reed does, the other mm-hmm. thing it does is almost certain the Packers will use at least one day three pick to bolster the interior defensive line. But what it does is it makes it so that you don't need to rely on that player right away. It buys you time. And so that player becomes a special teamer. And maybe if they show enough in the preseason and in training camp, a rotational player on the defensive line, and then you bring them along more slowly. And maybe in a year or two years, that player develops into a starter or a more regular part of the rotation. So it buys you time and gives you that baseline that you talked about. So I think in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a win-win kind of a situation. Again, is, is it moving the needle so much that all of a sudden defensive line is a strength for this defense? No, but it definitely bolsters it, steadies it, adds buys you time for some of your younger players. And, and I'll include TJ Slayton in, in that list mm-hmm. of younger players who's yeah. already been drafted. Uh, I think overall, it, it's just a smart, efficient use of cap space to uh, solidify a weakness, previous weakness on this team. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I'm not expecting anything from TJ Slayton in year two. I think in year three, you want to see him really be a nice rotational player, at least on the level of Tyler Lancaster, maybe Dean Lowry already. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't want to be leaning on Slayton in year two, because I don't think he's going to deliver. Um, Kingsley Kiki to me is, is the guy that you have to compare this to the most because it is pretty much a one-to-one uh replacement here you know and and by the way and kingsley kiki missed a substantial amount of time toward the end of the season uh first with injury and then you know weirdness and you know he gets cut and all that stuff um 
But if you're looking at what do these guys do well, and uh, I, I, I think if you want to have any sense of optimism at all, you have to kind of throw out weeks one through nine for Jerron Reed because they're they're just bad. He was a just a very bad football player from weeks one through nine in 2021. Starting in week 10 and on, his numbers look pretty similar across the board to Kingsley Kiki. Now, one difference that you're going to see, uh, so in, in run defense, uh, Jerron Reed is a noticeably better run defender than Kingsley Kiki was. That was not his strong suit. Kingsley Kiki was um, always much better in pass rush, which is obviously an area that, like we said, that Jerron Reed struggles. Jerron Reed's pass rush grade was uh, 56 Mm-hmm. And Kings of Kiki was all the way up at a 73, which is a, a really good grade. Um, and then, uh, like I said, run defense, Kiki's grade was 48, pretty poor. Jerron Reeds is 54, which is still not fantastic. But like I said, that is including weeks one through nine. And if you take those out, then his run defense grade is up in the high 60s, much more palatable. Um, you're, you're really hoping and expecting that Joe Barry is going to get, uh, him to continue that production he was putting out at the end of the year last year. And, and you're putting that on the coaches and you're, you're putting that on Jerron Reed to say, look, you're on a, a one year prove it deal here. Yep. You need to show us and uh, the other teams in the NFL that you have what it takes that, that you should be getting big boy money next year. And look, Call it the Devondre Campbell Rasul Douglas pitch. <laughs> you saw what these guys did, and you know they they weren't even um, uh, high high draft picks like you were. You were a, a former second round pick. Come to Green Bay, learn from Joe Barry, put up big numbers, and then go get your paycheck. Go get paid, big boy. Uh, that's that's the, the sales pitch here, and I think you're you're going to have Joe Barry in his ear all year telling him, "Dude, you need to step up. We need." Uh, the the guy that you were at the end of last season, not the guy you were at the beginning of last season. Yeah, and let's hope we can get more of that. It it look, it's hard for me to be honest with you. If you were to say you throw out weeks one through three, one through four, yeah, I could I could do that. Throwing out weeks one through nine is more than half the season. That's a little well, rich for yeah. my blood. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, you know, I, you, when you say something like that. I go back to thinking about Darnell Savage and he had a great last seven games in 2020 did not carry over to 2021. Here's mm-hmm. a stat though, that I wanted to look at as far as Jerron Reed is concerned. And it, it, it goes like this, according to ProFootballReference.com, last year, in 17 games, Jerron Reed had 12 quarterback hits. Mm-hmm. In last year, in 16 games, yeah, hit, hits Clark, plus sacks. He had he had he had eight hits and four sacks. So you combine those two, yeah. Okay, Kenny Clark had 13. Uh huh. Now Clark had four sacks, but those numbers very very similar, and. I don't think we're going to get this again, but you go back to 2018, he had 24 quarterback hits and 10 and a half sacks. Now I think those days are probably behind him as far as being, you know, that statistically outstanding, 
but he had six and a half sacks in 2020 in Seattle. So it's not that far right. behind him. I think and, and, and he is a guy who definitely gets a high sack to pressure ratio. Yes. But his pressures are really low. You're talking about the, the sack numbers or the, the, the hits hit numbers being similar between Kenny Clark and Jerron Reed. If you look at, at the pressure rate, it's not even close. Last year, Kenny Clark had 68 pressures. Jerron Reed had 33. So right. less than half. Right. On on a very comparable number of snaps. Uh actually Jerron Reed played about 20 snaps more than Kenny Clark did on the season. So uh when it comes to how often are you actually getting home and sealing the deal compared to how many times you're able to do anything at all? He's sealing the deal uh, an okay number of times, but he has uh like uh, I think I think if I'm l- look at the math right. It's about 94% of the time that he is trying to get a pressure on the quarterback. He's not doing anything at all and Mm -hmm. is not impacting the offense in any way. Well, look again, but it also depends on the system and, and defensive linemen uh, for the Packers, you know, you want to get push, but you're not going to get a lot of sacks from your interior linemen. I mean, but you you do want, you do want to collapse the pocket though. Right. You want to get that push. That's, that's what I just Mm -hmm. said. I mean, look, Kenny Clark had four sacks last year Four. uh, not a very high number, but considering the way the defense is set up and the way it works, you take the pressures and the hits and the and the sacks that you get from Clark, yep. and you add the edge rushers that Green Bay can throw at you, and you'll you'll be fine. And 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 like you say, defensive tackle is different than edge rusher. If Preston Smith turns in a four sack season, we all are calling for his head. Kenny Clark turns in a four sack season, and you go. Uh, yeah, but he's a defensive tackle. I mean, come on. What do you really want from him? Right. And if Jerron <laughs> Reed, who is your second best pass rusher from the interior line, turns in four sacks, I think you're pretty happy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dean Lowry was a sack machine last year compared to who he's ever been in the past. Right. Five uh, and a half, right. You want to talk about Keyshawn Nixon? Sure. Sure. <laughs> there's not a lot to talk about, but there's a couple things. There's a couple little things. So Keyshawn Nixon, I think that the assumption when we brought him in. So he's a cornerback formerly of the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, so he spent some time on Rich Passaccia's special teams unit out there. You want the good news or you want the bad news? <laughs> well, well let's do, let's do the bad news first. All right. The bad news is he stinks on special teams. He's just, just the worst on special teams. He had, uh, he had one game last year where he graded out as an 80. He had uh, two games where he graded out in the 60s. Every other game last year was, like, horrific on special teams. Um, And he played a lot of special team snaps. Um, And uh, if you look over uh, 2020 and 2019, um, his special teams grades weren't much better there. He had a, a 43 overall grade on the season in 2020 and then in 2019 he had a 40.5 so as far as a special teams contributor goes the dude is not bringing it and i'm a little surprised that rich basaccia is advocating for bringing him in he handled a, a couple of of returns i think he's done five returns and uh he averages oh, i just i just moved away from the page uh what was it seven yards per return mm-hmm. Let's see here. special Let me teams see. This is, this is what I always do. I last uh, year it was uh, well. 
It was seven yards per kick return. <laughs> yep. And I think he had two punt returns, didn't he? Uh, not, no. No, he had three kick returns in each of 2019 and 2020. Not enough of a sample size to really judge much. Right. Not enough to, to be like, oh, yeah, I can see why Rich Bisaccia said, hey, Goody, this is my guy right here. Bring him in. Uh, you ready for the good news now? Yeah, go for it. He's not horrible on defense, actually. So he's a 2019 undrafted free agent. And you, if you look at his grades over the last few years on defense, um, he started out real bad. And then he kind of has gotten steadily better over the three years he's been in the yep. league. And uh, Pack Daddy over on the Packernet podcast, dear friend of the show, was the guy who noticed this. But when he's playing in the slot, he grades out in the 70s and 80s. Mm-hmm. When he is playing uh, as as a, uh, a, a nickel or a box safety, which they've had him do a few times when they put him on the, on the boundary, he's, he's a putrid defender. But when you put him in the slot, he is quite good. And you're look, you look at um, some of the teams that he's gone up against. He played uh, Denver twice last year. Uh, played pretty good. Denver has had some uh, pretty, pretty good wide receivers over there. He also um, played against Cleveland. I think he was lined up against Odell in that game. No, that was week 15. So uh, that would have been Jarvis Landry. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, But his, um, his slot numbers are pretty good. When you put him anywhere else on defense, it's, it's painful, but when you put him in the slot and this, this is why, you know, it kind of gets my gears turning a little bit as I'm thinking about Eric Stokes and, um, uh, the heck is the guy's name we've been talking about for months? Rasul Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want those guys anywhere near the slot, right? Because they're with their 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 makeup and and the kind of uh, play style they have, they thrive on the boundary. You also got Jair, who can play in the slot, and he was a slot corner at Louisville. Um, but I mean, is that really where you want to put your best cornerback? Is stick him in the slot full time. I, I don't, I don't think so. I think that you want your best cornerback on the best receiver. So there's a bunch of times when you're kind of wishing that you had Chandon Sullivan, when you, when you're wishing that uh, Shamar Jean Charles uh, was going to step up and, and be the guy that you kind of drafted him to be, except that he's still just a second year player. I'm wondering if Keyshawn Nixon actually is going to have a role on defense. I think for sure. They're going to have him competing for a starting job on defense in uh, in, in the preseason, you know, during OTA, seeing what he can do. I think as a slot corner, I think that he is uh, very comparable to what we just lost in Shannon Sullivan when he went to the Vikings. Yeah, and and he's also, you know, what it sounds like. It sounds like he is what they wanted Yadam to be, but he never really became. Uh, as far as that goes, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, you know, man, I was having such a good day. Why did you have to bring that name up? Yeah, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It'll be look again, useful pieces to the puzzle. 
And I'm intrigued to see there's got to be a reason why the special teams coach brings him in. And, you know, I, I've read and, and, and heard things saying that this shows that he does have some influence over roster decisions, a player who he's familiar with. So let, mm-hmm, let's see mm-hmm. where this plays out. And Yeah, because it wasn't all on the coaching last year on special teams. Did I – were we ever – um, giving Mo Drayton a pass. I don't think at any point in the season we gave him a pass, but also the players need to step up and play better. There's a lot of times when you had players who know better, who have been around for a long time, doing this for a long time, just sucking at their jobs on special teams. Now, it's the coach's job to get in their face and make them play better, but also you need the players to play better. And 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 it wasn't just – the vets, you, you don't want your vets out there. You want guys more along the lines of a Keyshawn Nixon who can be out there on special teams um, as, as that kind of being their big contribution to the team. You want those special teamers. And I think if you look at the, the bottom of the, of the roster, we don't really have a lot of those guys. So I like that Basaccia is bringing in a guy that he knows. Is, is Nixon going to work out on special teams? My numbers say probably not, but he might. And I I like that Basaccia has Gudikun's ear because this mm-hmm. clearly this clearly was a move influenced by Basaccia. And now that he's in the building, Matt LaFleur and Joe Barry are also going to want to get their hands on him for defense as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, one of those situations where if this doesn't work, if you cut him in training camp, no, no big cap hit no big concern yep. about that minimum, this is a, a low risk kind of a move it's a player your new special teams coordinator is familiar with uh, i'm intrigued again not saying this is like the difference between winning and losing a playoff game but it's a step in the right direction and it's again low risk as far as that's concerned yeah and, and I, I like his his measurables um, he ran a four, four, two 40 time. Uh, the average for cornerbacks is a four, four, eight. So he is fast. Um, you know, according to the, the, uh, league average, he's five ten one ninety three. That's, you know, a slot corner build. Again, I think that there's a reason he's struggling when you put him on the boundary, you have him try to play safety. I think at, at 193, he's not too small to play safety, but he's a little on the small side. Right. Uh, I, I, and and just when you when you look at what kinds of things you're asking your slot corner to do, seems like this is a really good fit for him that has yielded results in the past. So I'm excited to see. I, I think he is going to play some snaps on defense, and I hope that it's just in the slot uh, because I, I think that he could really thrive there. Uh, you want, do you have a no, you want to say? Go ahead. I was I was going to talk about Mark Murphy. Okay. You saw Mark Murphy's comments uh, yesterday uh, talking to Larry McCarron, our, our dear friend Larry McCarron. Who? Yep. Fun fact: I don't, know, I don't know if our listeners know this. Larry McCarron came on No Huddle Radio one time and did a full interview with us, and we had some tech issues and we lost the recording. Yeah. Uh, so we want to get Evac on sometime. Uh, but Larry McCarron was on our show, and you should know that because uh, Gil's the guy who got him to come on the show. And uh, actually, 
Uh, Gil, should we should we tell him who's going to come on the show soon, or or should we wait and just Let, let's wait when it happens? Let's okay. wait. He, he's away. He'll hopefully be back in a week or two, and we'll we'll line that up. But All right. uh, but we do have right. a, a, a a commitment, uh, hopefully from this former Packer player, and and I'm excited about it. So Mark Murphy was going to come on the show at one point, and it, it um the timing was really unfortunate because the Aaron Rodgers, um big bombshell blew up yeah, <laughs> around the draft last year. And uh, we were scheduled to have him come on the show like immediately after the draft to talk about the draft. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and then Aaron Rodgers blew up in our faces. And so Mark Murphy um, had some moments over, over the summer where he was uh, kind of putting his foot in his mouth. And it probably was a good thing that we didn't have him on the show because we might've asked him a question that he shouldn't be answering. But um, Mark Murphy was talking to Larry McCarron, who is very skilled interviewer, unlike ourselves. And uh, <laughs> he had a line that got a lot of people talking. He was talking about, uh, you know, he he said, "Listen, we a lot of a lot of fans are kind of freaking out, panicking, saying, who the heck is Aaron going to throw the ball to?'" Well, don't worry, we don't play a football game for quite some time. We have the draft, and with all of our draft capital that we have here, he said, let's just say I think it's going to be very interesting. And a lot of people took that and ran with it. I got excited when I saw it. Sure. Um, I I don't think that it's uh, wise to try and read too much into it and say that, oh, the Packers are are working on an, a, a trade right now, You know, whether that's like a, a pre-draft trade up in the draft to try and get up to like, pick 10 or something like that. A lot of fun things you can run with. I don't think that he's saying that. I think he's saying, look, the last time the Packers came away from the NFL draft with four top 60 players was 1967. When Gil, you were just a young lad of 55. <laughs> <laughs> how, how old were you in 1967? And, I- and also how many teams were in the NFL in that year? In the NFL, I'm going to say 14 or so, I think. And I was born in 1967. You were born in 1967? <laughs> All right. I, I got the full list here um, on Wikipedia, very trusted source. So there, there were 16 teams. Uh, already the NFL Central Division was the Packers, Bears, Lions, and Vikings. So. Yep. Good stuff there. But uh, yeah, 1967 was the last time the Packers came away with four top 60 players. I don't think that they're going to come away with that because I do think that they're going to trade around. I think they're going to trade up from 22 and they're going to trade back from 28. That's my prediction, because when I look at at the uh, consensus big board, I see like picks one through 15. You got some just crazy talented guys and then starting in like pick 20 through about 38 i think it's uh, just a uh mediocre no man's land because it's like guys of the same caliber of player as like 40 through 60 mm-hmm. so I, I and you know what if you can find a sucker who you can trade back with and maybe you get like uh two picks between 40 and 60 i think i would rather have those than than pick 28 because i just i don't like the the guys available at 28 but whatever but 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 I think that the Packers are going to try and trade up from 22 because they're not usually in a position where number one, their draft pick is this close to that top echelon of talent from like one through 15. Right. 
and they have all these extra picks this year. They have so much capital. They have more picks than just about anybody in the league this year. And I think uh, I think if you, you look back at the 2020 draft and Brian Gutekunst traded up to try and get Justin Jefferson or Brandon Ayuk. That's those are the two guys that we think that he was targeting based on things that he said, based on things that other teams have said. Those two players went right before us to the Vikings and the Niners, obviously, and the Packers were forced to just, OK, we're going to have, have to go ahead and take Jordan Love here. I think they learned something from that. I think that they are looking at that and saying we tried to be aggressive to go up and get our guy in that year, and we weren't aggressive enough. Mm -hmm. And this year we have more freaking ammo, so let's use that ammo to trade up. Burn one of these second-round picks if you want to because you got two of them. Do it. Move up. Go get your guy. So uh, I'm excited for it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, but I don't think it's prudent to – read into this as Mark Murphy trying to tip his hand and, and hint to us about what they're going to do. I think you just look at all the, uh, all the picks that they have. And uh, he's saying it's going to be an interesting draft. Heck yeah. It's going to be an interesting draft Four top 60 picks. What's more interesting than that? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be very interesting. And, and I think, you know, he also Murphy also sort of t- hinted at something in a different way that I think he may be playing coy a little bit where he sort of downplayed the possibility of trading for a veteran receiver to replace uh, Devontae. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Come on. We spent 40 minutes on this last week. I know. (laughs) I know. But I I think what he's trying to do is to try to get it out there that the Packers are not desperately looking for Ah, that player and therefore will not overpay for that player. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination he's not looking for a player or the other possibility is that it will not be uh, the most blockbuster kind of a trade. It'll be more of a, you know, fill in kind of a player. And then the draft pick is, is the heir apparent who's going to come in, but either way, Oh, uh, you're speaking my language, Gil. Oh, you're agreeing with me. (laughs) Either way, it was an interesting, uh, an interesting little quote from, Murphy and Gutekunst and they're, they're sort of playing and the floor and the floor. They're sort of playing the game and, and I expect nothing less. I think it's really interesting and, and kind of amusing the difference in how those three guys talk when they talk to the media. All right. So you got LaFleur who kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. I mean, like the, you know, the number of times, what was the guy's name? Lance, somebody that he just like kind of blew up at yeah. <laughs> last year when uh, I, f- I think his name is Lance something. And he uh, he was asking for like the the it was like the 15th question in a row about Aaron Rodgers vaccination status. And, and Matt LaFleur had like already answered a couple in a row by saying, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. And I don't care. And Lance <laughs> comes in with some ivermectin question. <laughs> LaFleur looks like he wants to cry. He's just like, I don't know what that is. And I don't care. (laughs) So he's, you know, he's down in, uh, where are they? Are are they in Florida or California? I I forget. It's one of those those places with beautiful weather. Unlike what I have here. And the rest of us Packer fans have up here. And, uh, LaFleur is like, yeah, man, I just really think that in this draft, we need to like 
get some wide receivers with a lot of speed. That's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> and you got you got Gutekunst, and you're like, so you know, talk to us about your team. Yeah, I really like my team. Like, we're, don't worry, it's it's all cool. It, team is great. We're gonna draft some guys. I got some guys I like, but you know, I'm just gonna have to see who's available, and that's about it. About it. I'm not gonna. Yeah, position. Who thinks about position? Uh, yeah, just uh, uh, we'll, you, we'll we'll just see what happens, and and don't worry about it. The team's great, and Lafleur's over here like, oh, we're doomed, we're doomed, <laughs> and we got we we have to draft the fastest receiver in the draft, and and multiple of them, and and even then, I just oh, I just don't know. And then he got Mark Murphy comes along, and he's like, hey guys, <laughs> <laughs> everybody's uh, playing their role. It, it's. Uh, you know what? It's 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 a soap opera. It's a lot of fun. I I love uh, football and, and Packers football, and and this is my favorite time of the year. I'm so having so much fun in the draft. Are you, are you watching a lot of draft prospects these days, right now, Gil? I've started that process. Yeah, uh, looking forward to the draft. I I still prefer the season to the off season. I mean, you know, but lead up to the draft. I mean, this is the highlight of the off season in my mind. No question. I'd say the the uh, two positions that I have not even started on yet are linebacker and running back. Part of it is that I always feel like any time I spend trying to evaluate linebackers is a complete waste because it's such a crapshoot. So I I uh, I only have three linebackers even ranked at all, and then after that, it's a pile of guys, and I'm saying, "Yep, uh, kind of heard of their name, but that's about it." Okay. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a number one priority for the Packers anyway. So you got to look, I think, a little later down in the draft board anyway uh, when it comes to interior linebackers. Edge rusher, I still think they may go that route, especially if they mm-hmm. hold on to all four of those, you know, first two day, uh, first two round picks. Yeah. But we'll see. Well, I, I think so. And I think that, uh, you know, if, if you look at like, so the, you know, the Packers big board, they're going to have a top echelon of dudes that, that they expect, you know, like this is our like one through five or, or whatever. And, it, and that's not going to be the same as everybody else's board. Mm-hmm. And so if let's say that guy number five out of that list falls and he's there at like pick 12, no question in my mind, the Packers are doing whatever it takes to move up and grab that guy because they never exist in a world where it's possible to move up and get that guy right and this year they have the ammunition and they're saying this guy we have is the fifth best player in this draft he should not be here at pick 12 so whatever it costs to go up and get him it's worth it because we're already underpaying because he should be pick number five not pick number 12 so heck yeah we're gonna go get him um and 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 Gutekunst Absolutely. One of his biggest priorities is creating value is, is uh, looking for opportunities to underpay, whether that is drafting a good player later in the draft, whether that's finding a hidden gem in Devondre Campbell or Rasul Douglas and getting a, a year for, for cheap out of them um, where you still get an elite performance. He's got to, the, the way that he can get ahead is by taking the capital that they do have and getting the most value per penny out of that. That's how you can compete with the LA Rams, the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Kansas City Chiefs, those other play, those other teams who have some of the best rosters in football. You gotta, you gotta win the uh, uh, dollars to val uh, to football player value um, conversion race 
Yeah, uh, and, with and when you and when you're winning consistently and picking in the you know twenties every year, you have to be able to do that to stay successful. I think uh, if you were to build the perfect GM, it would be a combination of Ted Thompson and Brian Gutekunst, and you would say, Brian, you can draft the first two rounds. Ted, you have rounds three through seven. <laughs> well, but, I think but that's, the, stay that's away the from round GM. three. We have to stay away from round three. <laughs> well, I, I'm talking younger Ted Thompson, not okay. not uh, not uh, senile Gil Gil Martin age uh, Ted Thompson. Ouch! <laughs> Ouch! Not just Alrighty, me, well, but Ted. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what the. The uh, leg up that you have over me is uh, I'm, I'm not old enough to drink yet. <laughs> it's not really true, but uh, no, it's but not. I, I, I am a, a young fry. All righty. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, remember to send us your questions on uh, uh, Twitter at JJ Leahy at Gil Packers. Um, you can also uh, give us a call at 231-714-4195, and you can leave a voicemail. We'll play it on the show if you got a question. We'd love to do that, especially around draft time. Pick a guy that you want us to study. Leave us a voicemail about him, and uh, we'll we'll look at, look into him for you, give, give you our take. That'd be a lot of fun. We'd like to feature you guys. So we'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter. Again, that's at Packers at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions. You can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Packers.